That was when I knew that this is what I'm working for. I'm working to create these opportunities where they didn't exist before and to really help other people support their families and to have this connection with my father's home country. Welcome to Make Good Fashion, the podcast that's all about starting, launching, and growing impactful fashion brands. I'm your host, Jasmine Rennie. Before I start today's episode, I have a very special announcement, so listen up. And that announcement is that the Make Good Fashion shop is now live. So what do we have in the Make Good Fashion shop? Well, I'm glad you asked, friend, because we have all the things. We're talking a sourcing directory of over 200 fashion industry manufacturers, vendors, and suppliers that you can access in one click. We also have cost sheets that will help you calculate the true cost of your garments and tell you exactly how much to price them for. We also have budget so that you can keep all your finances and orders and so much more. So make sure to head over to makegoodfashion.com slash shop. I'm also going to include a link in the show notes along with a promo code that you can use to get 15% off of your first purchase. You guys, these templates are essential and things that every fashion business should have. So make sure to head over to the Make Good Fashion shop so that you can tap in and get yours today. Hey friends, welcome back to the Make Good Fashion podcast. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing Siomara of Uno Eth. Uno Eth is a father-daughter handbag business that sells the most beautiful leather handbags and accessories. They hail from Northern California, but all of their goods are produced by artisans in Ethiopia. In today's episode, Siamata takes me through the journey of how her and her father created this beautiful brand as an homage to her father's home country. We talk about how she was able to get gritty and raise capital for the business in only a couple of months and her motivation to build a brand with a greater purpose than herself. You guys are going to be so inspired by this episode. It's real, it's authentic, and so encouraging for anybody on this entrepreneurial journey. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Siamata. Hey, Siamata, how's it going? Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Hi, Jasmine. I'm doing amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Amazing. Okay, so <laughs> I want to hear a little bit about your background. We all know that you are the founder of UnoEth, this beautiful bag company, but I want to know how you got here. I heard that you used to work in corporate America before this. So like, tell me how you landed on being a handbag designer. <laughs> I, it's funny. I, some, I think about my path and how I got to where I am now. It's kind of funny. I started out in marketing and advertising. That was since I was in high school, I just wanted to be in an advertising. I just thought that I love the creative side of business. And that's where I just wanted to get into. I think I was inspired by some movie or something like that. But I started out in advertising and marketing at an ad agency here in San Francisco. And then I got into social media management and a little bit of sales. And a part of me really just loved retail. I was in retail when I was in college, like, you know, working at Express and different stores and boutiques. And I really wanted to have a say of what was actually being sold as opposed to how we're communicating to the consumer and to buy it or to inform like about this brand and whatnot. And so I went back to school at FITM, the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising, also in San Francisco, and I studied merchandise buying and the retail side or the business side of retail. 
And after that, I worked for um, Pottery Barn. I started out in their email marketing as a planner, and then I switched over into merchandising and assistant assistant buyer in textiles. And from there, I learned so much. It was such a fast-paced environment and in home decor. And during that time, my dad went to Ethiopia, where he's from, and he got me a leather messenger bag as a gift. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. I can wear my carry my laptop and commute from Oakland to San Francisco every day because it's a long commute of consisting of taking a casual carpool with a stranger and then walking a mile to work and then back and then taking the subway back home. So it was really great to be hands-free. Little did I know that this leather messenger bag would cause so much attention. I would get stopped on the sidewalk, at a coffee shop, on the subway, at work. Everyone asked me where I got this bag. And I was like, oh, it's handmade in Ethiopia. My dad got it for me as a gift. It was custom made by this artisan. And they're like, oh, that's so cool. So cool. And they're just, everyone kept asking me about this bag. And I talked to my dad. I was like, hey, dad, like, the people keep asking about this bag. He's like, babe, me too. Me too. And, and he's like, we should start a business. I'm like, I'm working at this very demanding corporate job. I'm styling on the side for Stitch Fix and trying to buy a house in the Bay Area, which is super competitive. Um, I don't really have the time to do all of this. And he's like, okay, okay. Another like month like passes by still compliments, questions. And at that point, we had friends and like some of my coworkers ask, hey, when's your dad going back to Ethiopia? Then I'm like, I don't know, I think in a couple months or so. And they're like, we place a pre-order for that bag. And I'm like, a pre-order with who? Like, I don't, this company doesn't exist. What are you talking about? So I told my my dad and he said, babe, I really think that we should try. We should do this. And I was like, you know what? Fine, let's go ahead and do it. And so he connected with the artisan that he met back in Ethiopia. His name is Muzayan Siraj. And we helped him get his leather export license so that he can ship goods to us. And I sent Muzayan over some sketches, very loose sketches. And we went back and forth on like finishings and designs and all of that. And my dad went back to Ethiopia with two empty suitcases and came back with them full of leather messenger bags. And so I gave, we had about 15, 20 pre-orders for this company <laughs> and it's cool. I started we gave them back to everyone who had ordered to ship them off and I started getting emails from people that I didn't know and it subject lights said messenger bag no hi. way hi I, you know, I know you don't know me but my I'm friends with Shannon I'm friends with so-and-so and I love her bag can you please like how can I place an order I'm like okay this is getting out of control so I was like you know what forget it let's just Go ahead and just do do a quick photo shoot. I'll set up a website on Shopify. Like I basically already do this for a living mm-hmm. <laughs> as a merchandiser and all of our business was mostly online. So I already work with the e-com teams. I'm like, this is already something that I do in my everyday to day. So why don't I do this for fun? And so February 2015 is how we when we officially launched and online and then we did pop-ups every other weekend here in the Bay Area both in Oakland and in San Francisco and we just spread like our organically through word of mouth and through these markets and through Instagram and then we started to 
and sign at different boutiques in our in Oakland and we just kind of just kept growing and growing and to the point where a year and a half into it I was really just stressed because I was working so much and then also I would work you know nine hours in a day and then come back and work three four hours I only got home after dinner and so goodness I just said you know what let's just make a plan let's just you know I have like reserve monies saved up and at that point my job was super toxic and I just had to get out and so quit and I was like well I got six months to get this really like to support myself so that's how I became a full-time entrepreneur from corporate and that's my kind of story (laughs) oh my goodness it almost feels like this business found you (laughs) <laughs> exactly. I never, I never ever thought that I would be a des- like design. I, didn't, I can't yeah. even really say it because I just don't feel like it's true. <laughs> I feel like I concept more, but I really do kind of design every aspect of every one of our styles. And yeah, I knew I always wanted to have my own business. Like I always wanted to have a boutique. I even like created a business plan for it. Mm-hmm. But little did I know it'd be more of like my own brand and all of that. So. I really got to marry my like analytical side in terms of business and trends and reports and all of that. And with my creative side in terms of I love developing new products and assortments and then also with our photo shoots and like the aesthetic. I run all our ads. And so I really love those parts of like running Inua. Yeah, that's amazing. So tell me about that transition of you leaving the corporate world, like what, at what point did you feel confident enough to take that leap and to go full force with Uno F? I think, so the point it got to was where we had really good, like consistent growth and consistent sales to a point where like, you just have to lay out all the numbers. Like what are your monthly liabilities for your business? What are your monthly liabilities for yourself? How much are you making in sales, you know? And when you see a consistent curve and a consistent trend, I'm like, okay, I feel confident that we can fulfill this and keep growing. When, so when it, that's how I knew I could take that leap. And when it, because I had like six months of savings, I'm just like, okay, well, I'm going to do this. I'm yeah. really going to put my good old college try. <laughs> and, and if I don't, then I can go and get another job. Like I'm very employable. <laughs> Yes. Uh, so and so that's how I I knew that I once I saw the plan of like in terms of numbers I felt more secure about that. Um, yeah. But I will say not a consistent check <laughs> is very like nice like feeling in terms of like security. So I was really battling between that and whatnot. And so, but when we. F- First, when I first took that leap, I did do a crowdfund for about $10,000. And so okay. that I wanted to put into inventory, which, you know, like all of that just it kept duplicating into more sales. And then also we I did this program where I really created a really in-depth and business plan with a business mentor of mine for like weeks. We worked together for like nine weeks on it. And then she helped me apply for my first business loan of I think at the time it was like 35K or 40K oh, wow. at that point. Okay. And so then I was like, okay, I feel much more confident yeah. and just invest more in product and marketing and whatever it may be. So um, 
that's how things just kind of kept rolling. And that was yeah. literally six and a half years ago when I went full time. We've been in business for about a little over eight now. Wow. Years. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Thank I want to talk more about the fundraising because a lot of yeah. that's a major challenge for a lot of businesses, a lot of fashion mm-hmm. businesses, especially mm-hmm. because it takes a lot of capital to build a fashion business. And yeah. I mean, it depends on how, you know, where you're starting. You can start small and you know, not invest so much, but you need capital, mm-hmm. period. So yeah. you talked about fundraising through mm-hmm. crowdfunding mm-hmm. and through obtaining a small business loan. So can you tell me a little bit about the process with that? What crowdfunding mm-hmm. site did you use? What was yeah. the, your experience with that? I first went through mm-hmm. Kiva. They're a nonprofit organization. Mm-hmm. And not only can entrepreneurs in the states, but it's also global. So you can fundraise or crowdfund um, up to 10,000. 10, I think maybe it's more now. Um, and you have to uh, do an application. And then you uh, there's like two different steps, two different steps or so. Like by your first week or so, like there's 30 days that you have to raise this money. Okay. It's like the first week or two, you have to get at least 25 of your network to contribute at least $25 towards your crowdfund. So you would Um, have to basically market this to your community. mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. You call you. I find the most effective way is to call people, like not to just send an email. I mean, you can send a text, obviously, for like reminders, but like calling people, I'm like, hey. I know you heard about this little brand. Well, it's really actually growing and I'd love your support, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Uh, all you need to do is contribute at least $25 towards my crowdfund. I have this, like, my deadline is this time and, yeah. really, and and all of that. So you need 25 people to, 15 or 25 people to contribute within a certain time period. And then you have to crowdfund the rest. What was great is that other companies, like, say, LinkedIn or like Microsoft or whoever yeah. they, they did matching programs. So like so say wow. for a certain amount of days they would match your contra- whoever's contributions during that time. So Kiva had a really great like network and how in in that aspect. But the cool thing about Kiva is that is actually you repay after you raise the funds, you repay that each month at zero percent interest. Okay. So, and I think it's up to three years or so. So anyway. So instead of for, for example, like I did Indiegogo for my crowdfunding mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. They, they, you don't get equity in the company, but you do get product. So this is, mm-hmm. they're getting their money back basically. Yeah. Yeah. You're not giving product. Not giving product. Okay. They're getting their money back. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I've never heard of this site. Yeah. Kiva. K-I-V-A. And you can do it multiple times as well, too. And it was a great, like, way to, you know, really be your true test. Like, do you really want this or not? Because mm-hmm. back then you think, like, 10K is a lot of money, you know, to. I mean, it is a lot of money. But I think once you start to get yeah. into it, it's just like. <laughs> it's like $100. <laughs> right, right. I feel like everything is $10,000. Yeah, I, I was just explaining some to someone like $1,000 is like $100 in like business world. It's it's mm-hmm. not going to get you very far. But yeah, mm-hmm. when you're just, just starting out your anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In California, especially. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you did Kiva. That mm-hmm. was successfully 
crowdfunded. Yeah. And then <laughs> tell me about the small business loan. Where did you get that through and how did yeah. the process for that go? So I worked with a business advisor through Optima Business Bootcamp. Her name is Ronnie Langer and Kroger. And she, we worked together every week for like nine weeks on my business plan to help like, you know, in my application for a business loan. So we worked on that together tirelessly and I felt really sound and really collect, you know, uh, confident in it. And I applied for my first business loan through Working Solutions. Um, they're also a nonprofit organization that funds uh, small businesses and startups um, that are between the zero to five years old um, range. And because it's typically it's so hard for small business owners to get funding in the beginning mm -hmm. um, because hey. you have no sales history, you have just or maybe li very little sales, you know, yeah. as well. And you would need to, most banks, they want at least like two to five years worth of history before you start to apply for anything with them. And so the process was like a simple application, like who, how many businesses or business owners are involved and what are your sales projections? You include your business plan and all of that. And I submitted my business plan, like I said. And so they, Working Solutions at the time, they funded up to, 50,000 or so. And we were at the time approved for 40. So I was like, let me just take it all. Wow. So you I raised 40 from the small business loan. How much mm -hmm. for, from the crowdfunding? 10. 10. So you had $50,000 to start off with. Yeah. As a full, at, when I'm full time. Yeah. Yeah. That's when amazing. I was full -time, where I am still. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So I did that. That was, I would say my first loan was. I want to say October. So I the first month into entrepreneurship was August 2017. Mm -hmm. And then September, October. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, October. you you raced pretty quick. It was my livelihood. <laughs> I always say when your back is up against the wall and you put all in, like you're going to figure it out. You're going to make that money somehow. Yeah. somehow if you believe in way. it. And I will tell you, I didn't. I wasn't sure that I was going to make the last, make it in the crowdfund because I had about four thousand dollars left, like the last four days of like crowdfunding. I was oh like, oh my gosh, this isn't going to happen. This is it one of I those where stressed. you have to make the whole thing in order to get the money? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. So it's like Kickstarter. Yes, basically. Yeah. And I was stressed. I was pacing up and down. I was like, it's, I'm, I don't, I'm just going to work. Um, I was like so tight. <laughs> oh <laughs> so my tight gosh, right I bet. But then one person, I don't even know this person, put the full 4,000. Amazing. And I was falling. Okay. I don't know who you are. So <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh my God. That is so, so amazing. Yeah, but some stranger believed in me so much that they just dropped 4K. And that's why you you have to continue to believe until the last second because it's really easy yes. to look at the natural and be like, it's not going to happen, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just so amazing to see how that kind of all panned out and you made the whole goal. I was I'm actually thinking about it now. Like I have goosebumps because of how I remember exactly how I felt. I'm like, the universe wow. really believes in me. I was like, Okay, 
we better make this work. <laughs> and you have. Here we are eight years later and you yeah. made it work. So thank you to whoever that was that invested in this because look what it's produced. Okay. Look them up. <laughs> I know. Let's bring them on the podcast. Um, <laughs> so you mentioned that you started this with your dad. I'm so mm-hmm. curious about that because that's so special getting to work with a parent, but I'm sure also challenging at times. So mm-hmm. tell me about like what that looked like. You know, it's so funny because, you know, I came from this corporate world, business world, and my dad is a college professor. It's been oh, a college no way. For 32 years in mm-hmm. Sacramento City College. He loves his job. Oh, my He's God. actually retiring this month. This is his last month working ever. What? um with you too or just no no just just for los rio community college (laughs) okay cool i was like is he leaving (laughs) no 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 and so we come from different backgrounds in terms of you know i'm type a you know this should have been done yesterday or you know detail oriented and he's like okay you know a little more lazy fair kind of your dad is me (laughs) you know so funny and like, I'm type A with, like, a laid-back attitude, type B attitude. Like, I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, let's get this done. It doesn't need to be, like, 1,000% perfect. It just needs to get done. You know, like, what are the most... I, have, I think at this point in my life, I've learned, like, what are the priorities? You know what I mean? It's just yeah. Kind of, that's it. Um. Anyway, I had to learn how to, I think, just communicate. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you're communicating mm-hmm. with your parent on a totally different level of... You know, not just father, daughter, like family style. This is like, okay, business partner style. Like, hey, I need you to do X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, blah. He would have to, I guess, he would have to like, he's not a very like a conflict kind of guy. Like he is just, I would rather avoid it like the plague. (laughs) And so, you know, I guess you would get kind of scared. So like, give me some bad news. Like, hey, like our vendor wasn't able to deliver on time or you know, something along those lines. And sure, I get pissed. <laughs> but so I had to really learn how to communicate like my frustrations in a much more subtle kind of like way as opposed to like an emotional way that you would if you're just talking with your dad, you know? Yeah. And so I had to learn. So I would say in the first two years, it took a lot of like, you know, learning and just straight up experiences to pop up and happen so that you can learn how to really just learn from experience, like I said. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So I love tell- working with him, though. It's just he is so supportive and he takes mm-hmm. no credit. Like, this was his idea. <laughs> My idea? This was his idea. Yeah. So it's just kind of like, sir, like, Oh, but you do everything, babe. I'm just, you know, I'm just here for support. You know, I'm here for the shows. You know, I'll talk to the vendors. Like, he's literally, like, created and, like, that whole foundation for us. And yeah. that's about it. Hey, maybe he prefers to be, like, in the background. It's, oh, Like yeah. you said, his personality oh, yeah. is very laid back. And, mm-hmm. yeah, that's he awesome, though. <laughs> but he does so well in them. <laughs> he's such a natural. Oh, <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> Okay, so tell me what you guys did after raising that 40, 50, 50K? Did we say 50? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what was your first step when you got that money? Did you know exactly where to invest it right away? Did it go right to production? Like, what what did you take that and do? I 
I definitely divvied it up mostly to inventory so that we can have that in order to just make sales. Yeah. And then we invested into marketing and also just for just general operations like these application booth fees that were really the pop-ups were mainly in the beginning probably like 90 percent of our business you know so we had to keep popping up and going and going and going and and all of that so just general operations on that on that end so inventory and operations was just it because at the time i didn't have a studio mm-hmm. i didn't have an employees i i did partner with opening a store with two other business owners the following year so just yeah, it was mainly just a product and operations. Okay. And how many styles did you start off with? Did you start smaller? The, or like oh, what yeah. did your collection oh, yeah. look like in the beginning? I think we had, well, we had our Sheba tote, our Talak messenger. We, I think we were, were we doing buckets back then? I think when we had like maybe a wallet and a bucket backpack, mm-hmm. we had like four styles and like maybe three colors or so. Yeah. So that's how we started, which is very like minimal and like the tried and true like essentials for everyday kind of wear. Yeah. And now we I think we're at like a hundred different SKUs. Wow. <laughs> How did you start with those though? Did you have any proof of concept with the styles that you ended up producing? Did you have feedback on those? I know the messenger you off the bat mm-hmm. was like a fan favorite, but what about the other styles? Yeah. The messenger was the still try and true, even till this day. The Shiba tote was just something like, well, okay, not everyone wears a messenger bag, like some you may think that this is more of like a masculine kind of style or whatever it may be, but everyone wears a tote. And mm-hmm. <laughs> totes are probably one of our, definitely our, one of our top selling styles. And I wanted to make it with a zipper. There were hardly any, still hardly any totes with zippers. And I just wanted like in the Bay Area, we just commute, well, commuted because now with everything after COVID, offices are shut down people aren't commuting as much all of sf downtown is like ghost town now um which is sad but i just thought of like i asked everyone what is your commute like or what is your day-to-day like what are your needs you know what i mean how can i help you yeah in that respect and so like i really need this i'm on bars i need security and like you know uh, make Mm -hmm. sure all my stuff is collected and together and then some other people were like, hey, I need I need two straps because I have back issues. So backpacks, yeah. perfect. Okay. So those were the things we kind of focused on. And then once people basically had those items, like, what else do you have? I'm like, crossbodies. Okay, like, let's get into that. Like, oh, I need a wallet with this. Okay, let's do a wallet. We would also even like pick up, uh, my dad would go and pick up a lot of different like random styles from different artisans in Ethiopia too and just try them out and see how people felt. We even had what was really popular headphone holders. Interesting. I didn't know like, that was a thing. Oh my God. <laughs> like, I, do I need a headphone holder? Well, <laughs> now that? that we have like AirPods and stuff, right? Kind of, so you would basically just like wrap it around like the headphone holder and it had just like a little snap and just kept it like closed together like this. Yeah. Wow. I'm just thinking about like, <laughs> I was, you're making me go through. 
like the booth days of just like selling and what was what we have. You know, we've yeah. had so many. And it's, now I start to feel old. Oh, stop <laughs> it. Time goes by so f- fast when you're building a business, though. It, it's insane. So I feel mm-hmm. like the last few years have like flown before my eyes. I know. Oh. <laughs> I want to talk more about your production process, though, and mm-hmm. producing in Ethiopia. Where did you even find the artisans that you would end up working with? I know you, your dad initially sourced mm-hmm. that messenger bag from an uh, artisan in Ethiopia, but yeah. how did it go from there? How did you scale? Like, what is that? So look like? it's funny. So with our artisan partner Musaean Siraj, we've we both started together. Like he feels mm-hmm. like a brother to me because wow. both kind of helped each other grow our businesses together and scale and scale. Like he started in his mom's like house, you know, where oh he like, lived and like I started in my one bedroom apartment and then I moved into a house. So that was in my garage. And then I moved into a small studio and another studio and now like a bigger studio. So he has done the same thing yeah. during that time. And so that's how we met him. But also my aunt who lives in Ethiopia, she she helped us so much in growing our business because she worked for Ethiopian Airlines as one of their in their VP as a VP. And wow. uh, she has crazy connections. She knows everybody. Like if I have an issue and I'll give her a call, it'll be resolved in 24 hours. Like she's like this cutthroat businesswoman like mm-hmm. boss babe like you know energy and she's we, we call her like the colonel because she is <laughs> you may be the smallest one but she bosses everybody around in the oh family my like no one like no one can test her like she is like she runs things and so she also helped us a lot because especially in terms of shipping from ethiopia yeah. to Oakland or San Francisco and with cargo things it was just such a I've never I was never an importer you know (laughs) I'm like I would literally go on my lunch to the customs department in downtown San Francisco try to meet with somebody to help them help me fill out my customs entry form because if it's wrong then it, it'll get denied and yeah. they only work Monday through Friday from nine to five and they take their one hour lunch. So I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And if if it's wrong, then it's the cargo is just going to sit there. Then you're going to accumulate fees at the cargo place in SFO. And I was stressed out. And girl, so, girl, girl, I, I, I know this too. Like, I'm so <laughs> triggered right now because we triggered my foot. <laughs> Like usually when we import fabrics and goods and stuff, we we do it through the the supplier, right? They take mm-hmm. care of all of that. They import it, and we just deal with them. La- maybe a year ago, we developed our own fabric, started importing, and oh, did not know any of this. I thought mm-hmm. they're just gonna ship it. It's just gonna. He was like, "You can get oh, it from the airport." It. I was like, "Okay, yeah. I'll get it from the airport." I was in Hawaii on vacation at the time and found out I needed a customs broker, got my customs broker. It was on a Friday and they don't work on the weekends. Turns out that they were charging us a hundred and something dollars a day to Mm -hmm. keep it there if I didn't come Mm -hmm. pick it up. So I'm on vacation stressing out because my fabric is sitting here in customs. And then you have to pay to get it out of customs. I'm like, yes, oh my gosh. 
So I'm like, I know this very well now. <laughs> and I just, yes, I, yeah. I know the struggle. I think the first two two shipments, I was able to do it by myself because if it's under a certain amount of money, yeah, like valued goods, then you don't you, like you don't get charged a certain fee. If it's if it's over, like it, you can't state claim as personal, mm-hmm. you know, like. And then if it's over, say fifteen hundred dollars or something like that, then you gotta claim everything that's inside and whatnot, and. And so then after that, they're like, why don't you just use a customs broker? I'm like, why don't I just use a customs broker? I didn't know a customs broker even existed. Yeah. You know, like, what do I need them for? Honey, they had, it landed, say a, a shipment would land at 12, it would be cleared by 2.30. You know what I mean? Then I can go, and at the t- then I would go pick it up myself because yeah. I'm not paying, you know, a hundred and some dollars at that time for someone to come and deliver it to me, like, it's so expensive. Yes, exactly. Everything. Gas is cheaper at this point, like, to go pick it up. Yeah. I don't think people understand the challenges of importing goods. And so Mm -hmm. this is good to talk about because it, you know, you have to count all these costs. Right. And I, it just makes me think about, I got a, a DM on Sunday or Monday and... This woman, so we were featured on CBS's Black Renaissance segment where it highlighted my father and I and our business. Mm-hmm. And we got to talk about how everything's made in Ethiopia and blah, blah, some successes. And the woman sent us a DM. She's like, hi there. Like, congratulations on all, everything and your success. It was so great to learn about your business on Black Renaissance on TV. I can't say the same about your prices why is hard like it's hard for low to middle income people like me to support businesses like yours it almost feels the same as going to a big company or whatnot and please consider like you know consider us and consider your pricing in the future just just a thought Mm -hmm. and i'm like okay i understand my brand is not for everybody but i do understand that my prices are fair compared to what in terms of what I bring into as in terms of quality, in terms of material and in terms of what we do in terms of supporting artisans in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Yeah. What people don't understand are the costs that are tied to each and every bag that we sell for the importing fees to the duty fees that we now carry because the GOA Act is not no longer serving us anymore. And for everything that comes into t- into running a business, you guys are experiencing co- high prices and so are we. So, you know, we have to, in order to not, in order to keep supporting people that we, this is the main core of our business in Ethiopia, we have to support ourselves too so we can keep doing what we want to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, it- I, I've definitely got one of those before, too. <laughs> but I think, yeah, it, it's important also when we have these businesses, especially that, you know, are paying fair wages and, you know, trying to do the right thing that we have to educate, too, because people mm-hmm. just don't sometimes can't reconcile the prices. But then mm-hmm. they also are not informed about, you know, that dress that you're getting from Forever 21. How do you think it gets down to like five dollars? <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Somewhere in that you know, in mm-hmm. that 
that whole thing. Like someone's probably not getting paid fairly. Something's going on there. So yeah, I think it's really great to educate as much as we can and, you know, show the process and all of that. And so that brings me to my next question about how <laughs> how you market and how you share the story of your brand with your customers, you know, through social media, through any of your marketing efforts. How do you educate them and share the, that story with them? You know, Jasmine, this is actually something that I am working I need to improve upon. I've always led with the product in terms of this is a great bag. It's leather. It's handmade in Ethiopia. We support artisans. Those are the top three things that I like advertise in like our on Instagram, on our website. Mm -hmm. And those three things make it kind of simple. And I need to do a better job at advertising our story and how we got started because that i've always remembered that facts tell and stories sell and people mm. remember people may not remember all the facts but remember the story they remember how it like the story made them feel Absolutely. and i want people to remember our story when they're carrying our bag and when they they can tell the same story to other people who ask about the bag and so I I'm gonna do a better job at it but I definitely like in all of our communications like there's a handmade <laughs> there's a made in Ethiopia there's an artisan made there's those keywords like all throughout our page pages and it's something that we need to emphasize more and I think I've always just been a little more shy about it and I don't I don't know why but thank you yeah. for bringing that up <laughs> yeah no I think Storytelling is so important for purpose-driven brands and brands that are, you know, doing good. People need mm -hmm. to know, like, what this the background is. And I think, like you said, that emotional tie to it, people really invest in it, get invested mm -hmm. in, and it really moves people. And I think it even allows them to, like, want to share with other people and right. want to spread the word. And that's free marketing for you. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, we need to start becoming more so of storytellers, less of sellers. Right. That's exactly how this brand started. It was through, you know, Instagram just started. Like, it just came out mm -hmm. during that time. So we weren't, like, popping then. But people met us in person, my dad and I, at Treasure Island Market or Second Saturday is that in Jack London Square in Oakland. They met us that way. They got that firsthand feel and smell of our product and also just to hear our story. And we, we as you know, how much we have to repeat our story all day long when we're <laughs> yeah. selling in person. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think and, you know, they take a they take a car, they take a flyer, they buy something or they tell their friends and whatever it may be. So <clears throat> that part for me is um, something I really want to focus on for this year. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And tell me about like, so you mentioned being on TV recently. It was CBS, right? Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Which is amazing. Thank tell you. Tell us about that opportunity, how that came about and how brands can do a better job at promoting themselves and getting these TV spots or getting press mentions to kind of mm -hmm. increase sales and awareness. I am very lucky that I, all of our press people have sought us. I don't, I, I'm not, this is another thing that I'm working on, Jasmine. 
just to get out of my own way and to like create these opportunities. I've been blessed with the opportunities to be featured on Insecure. I literally received an email oh from Shiona Torini and her team for season four. And they said, hey, we want to feature your brand. You know, we, they were talking about, you know, oh, these are the main characters. These are, I'm like, I know Insecure. I know my favorite show. What do you guys want? I'll send you anything, you know? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so they, she wanted to chimed in and like listed the different styles. And I was like, okay, great. Overnighted it to them. They received it. They sent everything back. And I don't, so maybe a month or two later. So I don't know what was actually used. And I didn't know until we started watching the show. And it happened to be at the height of the pandemic. <laughs> like Perfect. <in> <laughs> right. And we got to advertise, you know, post about it. And, you know, she wanted to really, uh, posted our stories as well too and wow and it's just kind of like during that time it was i didn't during that time i didn't have any inventory because it was all sitting in ethiopia like waiting to get shipped you know the whole bottleneck of like shipping oh my gosh it was a nightmare it was a nightmare (laughs) absolute nightmare i had products ready to go they were supposed to arrive in march they didn't arrive until june oh my gosh i was i hadn't (laughs) I was not making any money because of this pandemic and because of lack of inventory. I was like, I need to find a job. I need to, I'm going to quit this business. Like, oh I, I didn't know where I was going to go. So as soon as it dropped, we posted about it. I'm like, hey, you can get a pre-order, get on our pre-orders. Da, da, da. So that that's also being part resourceful. You know what I mean? As, a, as an entrepreneur. Got to get scrappy. Like, Figure it out. So, Rappies. Rappy <laughs> is like my middle name sometimes. And so we and during the pandemic, it was just a lot of, you know, support black owned businesses. I mean, you yeah. and I were on this analytics report, like an internal analytics report for sustainable black owned brands to watch. I don't know if I I feel like I sent that to you. Anyway. I'm like, and, wait, what what reports? <laughs> there there was there, so much in twenty twenty, honestly. Like I know. There was this internal report that listed you. Me, my friend Taylor, and several other black oh, yeah, owned Taylor brands. J. Yeah, Taylor yeah. J. Black owned brands, sustainable brands to watch. And oh, and also Brother Vellies was on it. So it was like a wow. It was it had a whole trend analytics of like it had our followers. It had like a bunch of internal <laughs> industry things. That's and amazing. I found out about it because there was this company, this wholesale company wanted to partner with us. And mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, you were on this list. I was like, excuse me. He's like, yeah, you're this report. <laughs> I was like, okay, and you were on it. <laughs> so, oh, cool. Well, I will, I'll resend it to you. There yeah. was so much press around that time. I honestly don't know, but oh yeah, Marie Claire, like yeah, it was very. It was a. It was nice. I want to touch on something you said, though, because you were just saying that, you know, you've just been blessed with these opportunities, which I do Mm -hmm. believe you have been and, you know, believe there is favor and that, you know, all of that. But I Mm -hmm. also believe that in order for us to be blessed, we also have to take steps of faith and put things in order and be in a position where we can be blessed. Right. And so I don't I think there's also something in our part. Right. We we do the work. We we do the branding, we do the post, we put mm-hmm. ourselves out there to be found mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. you know, you can have the most amazing brand, but if no one can discover you, 
mm-hmm. means absolutely nothing, right? Absolutely so nothing. I think that it's great that you already had been building this brand. You've been doing the work. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when your work meets that opportunity and you're able to be found, then these amazing opportunities come up for you, which is great. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that just speaks to the importance of like, you know, even if you feel like you're not being seen or <laughs> like, you know, your brand you have this small community and no one, you know, can find mm-hmm. you or whatever it may be. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep being consistent. And, mm-hmm. you know, when the work you're putting in meets the opportunity, then things happen. Absolutely. And it's I agree 100 percent. Like, I don't believe that anything any energy you put into something won't come back to you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if that's like health wise, if it's business wise, if it's energy in your relationships, your friendships and whatever you put on the universe will come back to you 1000%. And that is, I think that is what is truly, you have to keep going, you know, whether do it scared. If mm-hmm. do it, if you're not feeling great, or you know what I mean? Just do what you can and be okay with that. And consistency is always going to prevail. Yeah. It really is. And also when when you see other people you know, receiving praise, clap for them. You know, don't yes. don't be jealous. Like be clap for them. Be happy for your friends and even for your competitors. Whatever. We can all win. Like there's so many people on this earth. Like I'm not trying to be the number one handbag company <laughs> in the world that's stressful and I, I don't that's not my I don't feel like that's my where I'm trying to be in life yeah. I just want to make a positive impact here on this earth while I'm here and have fun doing it and traveling and coming up with amazing an amazing assortment <laughs> yeah and you know what no one can do what you do how you do it you're the yes. only you you only have your mind your own creativity your own thoughts like no one's going to be able to duplicate what you've already done even if they try and so right I think that you know that's important to remember too is just to be yourself and do what you do what keeps you going like what has kept you going these last eight years what has made (laughs) you this relentless to keep pushing and you know keep your yourself focused in the beginning, it was more of just like personal freedom. I think coming from the corporate world, you're just you are told what to do over and over and over again. And I internally hated that. I hated being told what to do, where to be and all this kind of stuff. And especially being the only black person in this like toxic, toxic uh, environment, I just that was what led me to one leave. And two, I craved freedom of choice and to create my own schedule and to do what I wanted to do and to not have a limit on how much money I can make and to be able to be like, I'm going to take today off and or I'm going to work as hard as I want today. And I want to develop these types of products. I want to, I want, I just, I want, I want, I want, like, I just want it. That's what I would really strive for, stroke for, aim for. And (laughs) When there was a trip that my dad and I went back to Ethiopia and visited our artisan partner, Muzan, and we went to his new shop, his new (laughs) workshop. When we arrived, he had this big sign. He was just wanted to show us his all the 
his new space. He had so much pride. He had new employees and just he had our pictures like of our styles oh like taped up all over in the workshop. And that's when I knew that this was bigger than just selling bags. This isn't about just making a lot of money. This isn't about just, you know, being famous or not that I've never want to be famous. It was just that was when I knew that this is what I'm working for. I'm working for to create these opportunities where they didn't exist before and to really help other people support their families and to really have this connection with my father's home country and to know that we've sent over thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars into where my dad is from and to support people who look like me. And so that's what really keeps me going because my vendor, I was the only, during the pandemic, I was the only one placing orders with him. Like all the other companies that, I mean, he's working with a handful of other brands like mine in Portugal and Spain and in Canada, but I was the only one supporting him, you know? And so it's just very, like, if we didn't have these, we wouldn't be surviving. Like it wouldn't be, he wouldn't be around. So I feel a duty to really keep going, to really keep this business model supporting artisans and small businesses all over the globe, like part of what I do for the rest of my life or as long as I can <laughs> you know yeah so that's what really has been pushing me over the eight years and also just I have I mean we have standards we have goals you know that how we want to live and you know I'm not there yet so that's what also keeps me going yeah it's powerful okay <laughs> so tell me what you would tell an emerging designer who is kind of trying to take a similar path of working with artisans mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. to create a brand of some sorts that you know has this greater mission behind it what advice would you give them I always give any entrepreneur this have a plan because when we first started Unoeth before I went full-time we did not have a plan we didn't know where we were going we were just kind of winging it and having a good time until it got to the point where like okay we need to buckle down and really create this plan so have a plan and also that it's okay to start small you don't have to be this huge like start with this huge company and blow up in a year and you know be viral and be all over the place like that's like it's not sustainable especially if you're doing it for an emerging as an emerging brand and you're working with sustainably and you know with a small batch or whatever maybe be okay with starting small and everything it's gonna be a bumpy road it's still a bumpy road and that is normal for it not to happen and whenever you receive any type of resistance like you're gonna have to go through it you can't go around it you can't go over it can't go under it you have to go right through it and it um may be painful sometimes but it's always beautiful in the end and there's so many lessons that you take with you and you just become so much more wiser and you know what to do when it happens again or just and honestly some of the problems you may face they may be really funny <laughs> that epic like we, how you and I are laughing about importing and our struggle oh doing so um, triggered but it's funny yes in at hindsight this point, yeah <laughs> I'm just like why did I do these things but there's just so many lessons that you just wouldn't yeah. be able to do if you just didn't do it like just 
just do it scared, you know, and be authentically you. That's always going to win. Don't try to be anybody else. Like, yeah. I feel like I was trying to do that at some point. You know what I mean? Like, and I just have to realize, I'm like, no, this is who I am. I'm, I'm not going to be anybody else. I'm not going to try to change for, like, to be what's popular and to right. be what, what everyone else is doing because that's just boring. <laughs> yeah, and it's exhausting. I feel like you mm -hmm. stress yourself out trying to copy this mold, but being exactly yeah. who you are is enough. Right. So what's next for Uno Eth? What can we expect? What's coming soon? What are your visions for the future? So I am so excited that we are going to be launching our home line at the end of this Ooh. year, late fall, early holiday. I love home decor. Obviously, I came from home decor before I came over here, and that is going to include woven goods. We are partnering with an amazing weaver in Addis Ababa, and they have this amazing cotton handwoven blankets and throws and robes and so that's probably our woven collection and pillow covers and then uh, we're introducing a candle that we're working with a, a black owned perfumer amazing like i wanted to do one i'm obsessed with candles like i don't yes. know who is <laughs> i probably spend a little bit too much money on candles <laughs> but so black owned brand here based here in Oakland or in the Bay Area. And so we're working together to create a scent that smells like our studio. Um, oh, I love it. So it's funny because every time like we add a pop up, people would comment like, oh, I love the smell of leather. And at this point in my life, like I am so used to the smell of leather. I just barely smell. And plus post having COVID last year, I'm like, my sense of anything is kind of gone awry. <laughs> <laughs> and so... It's going to be a combination of leather and Palo Santo because I always light that Yum. in our studio. So it's going to be a nice and smooth. We're working on a scent now. And so we're launching that. And then also some leather pillow covers. We have we have ha done leather baskets in the past. We sold out. So we're relaunching those in different colors and styles. And so that'll be at the end of this year and some other wholesale partners that are still in the works, too. So I'm excited for that end of this year. Yes. Love it. Okay. So <laughs> I want you to end this episode by telling me what you have been most proud of from your journey. For me, I am most proud of my resilience. I think I've often looked back at all the things that I've endured both personally and through business. And I realize, you know, I have overcome a lot. And I've realized also that when I'm in therapy, like talking about things with my therapist, like, girlfriend, that's a lot. I think the ability to just cry and then just take a deep breath, shake it off and just work through it. You know, I think there's a lot of challenges that we battle within ourselves. And so especially with, you know, mental health and things like that. And I'm glad that conversation is a lot more that topic is a lot more popular and anxiety and um depression are just they're very real things that a lot of people experience and now we have actual names to them and people are able to identify it more and are open yeah. to talk about it but so just the resilience to keep going and to and through the thick of it find the beauty you know i think that's very important to recognize what you're surrounded yourself with and that there's beauty in everything mm. and just the ability to focus on the most positive things and in the middle of 
all the negativity. <laughs> and so I commend myself for just just pushing through it and not giving up. And because I feel like I wouldn't be giving up on myself. And that's one thing I will never do is to give up. <laughs> Perfect. So tell me where people can find you, where people can shop Uno at. Give us all the handles. All the handles. So <laughs> you can follow us on Instagram. It's at U-N-O-E-T-H, Uno at. I'm also on Unoeth too, so it's at X-I-O-M-A-R-A-R-T, C-M-R-A-R-T, and our website where you can buy all the things. It's U-N-O-E-T-H dot com, Unoeth dot com. Ready free standard shipping on orders over 50 <laughs> Go buy something right now. <laughs> See, that's Hurry marketing, you guys. You got to give us all of the information. <laughs> Perfect. Thank yeah. you so much, Siamata. It's been so great talking to you and just hearing some of the history behind your brand, how you got started, all of the good stuff. Thank you so much for sharing with us. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to Make Good Fashion. I hope you found this episode helpful and inspiring as you build your fashion business. Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave a review. Remember that building an impactful fashion business takes time and effort, but it's so worth it. So keep pushing forward and don't forget to make good fashion.